Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. absolute confidence in the beauty of God's grace in our lives. That's where we need to end up. It's a little hard to get there sometimes. Maybe you're the one person out of a million who has never had sorrow in your life. Are you? Hands? I mean, maybe you're the person who, when you give your testimony, you talk about great faith that has always had joy and has always had the answers and great faith that uh, whatever life brought your way, you were able to just skate through it because after all, you had great faith. Don't you love those testimonies? Let's be honest. Don't you want to slap them? (laughs) Or your, your, your testimony might be about the great faith that has triumphed over adversity, that something has come along in your life, there's been a great problem, a great uh, um, difficulty, and you didn't know how to get out of it, but by faith in God, he, he brought you through and brought you out, and now you're on the other side of things, and things are wonderful and sunshine, and you can tell people in three easy hints how they too can triumph in your life. Don't you love those testimonies? Well, we praise God for that, because he does that. He brings people through problems. But are you like me? You're listening to that and you're saying, I'm happy for you. But it's a little hard for me. Because my testimony is more like the ongoing difficulty and the ongoing problem. And, uh, you know, I hit that rough spot in life and I believe in God and faith attaches me so that the grace of God is just working in my life and bringing me through. And just about the time I'm through with that one, there's another one and I work through that one. And as soon as I get through that one, the first one comes back with another one. And we we just keep working through these things. I mean, it's just a fact of life. You're going to have sorrow. You're going to have sorrow and difficulty and problems. You're going to hit stretches in life where it just seems like everything's falling apart. And it's at those moments you you ask yourself, what's going on here? Why is this happening? I mean, what's the point of all this? Is there a point to all this? And you find yourself in seasons of suffering, doubting and questioning and wondering. That's what happened to the readers of the uh, letter to the Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, when they, they had come to receive Christ and everything was, was fine in their lives, but they came to receive Christ because of the glorious grace of God. And the moment they accepted Christ, the world began to fall apart. They accepted Jesus, put their faith in him, trusting in the grace of God, and suddenly they were persecuted. People were happy to have them around. Now they don't get invited anywhere. They started to lose their homes. They lost their businesses. They were kicked out of town. Some of them were thrown into prison. And it didn't take long with that kind of season of suffering before some of them thought, you know, maybe there's not a point to this. Maybe we should just go back to the synagogue or go back to our old lifestyle. 
You know, this thing with Jesus isn't working out the way I thought it would. I mean, after all, when I turn on my television on Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock, I'd give you the channel, but then you'd know who I was talking about. Because when I listen to that program, it, it tells me that if I believe in God, God, this generic sort of amorphous God, God will, will do great things in my life, and I will triumph, and I will be a uh, victor, and I will conquer, and I will have success. And everything will start to work out if only I get my mind right, think positive thoughts, surround myself with, with positive thinkers, and believe in God, again, a generic small g God kind of thing, then everything should be fine. And I thought that's what was going to happen, and it's not working out that way. The seasons of suffering continue. Now, the suffering that, that uh, confronted the readers of the book of Hebrews was suffering particularly because of their faith in Christ. It was persecution. It was exactly because they believed in Jesus that this suffering was coming their way. But we have suffering that comes our way in, in many forms that still causes us to wonder and to question, what is God doing in this? Now where, where does faith in Christ work out in this? How, how does my belonging to the family of God and the body of Christ, how does that work through this season of suffering? Now some suffering isn't our fault. It's not our fault. It's somebody else's fault. Usually we know who, and we want to tell them about it. But, you know, sometimes suffering is not our fault uh, because someone else has made a sinful decision. Someone else has made uh, choices that have an impact on our lives. And so, as a result, the, their life of sin collides with our lives, and we might wind up wounded. We might wind up hurt. We might wind up put down and marginalized and, and those kinds of things. So sometimes the suffering we go through is caused by other people. It's really not our fault at all. But still, as we're going through that season of suffering, we wonder, what is God trying to do in all this? Sometimes the season of suffering is our fault. That's almost easier to take, not, not totally, but sometimes it is our fault. Sometimes we have made those choices. Sometimes we're the ones who have decided to depart from the will of God and to uh, engage in decisions and choices that, that are contrary to his will. And so sometimes we have made those choices, and as a result, life is falling apart and life is getting a little clinky, and, and, and it's hard to, to, um, to, to sort of figure out what, what we should do. Now, in those moments, though we know it's our fault, usually what, what we do, well, you don't, but I do, I look at somebody else and I know they're doing worse than I am. And yet they're not suffering the way I'm suffering. And I'm saying, well, if my suffering is the result of my choices, why aren't they suffering, Lord? Now, what's going on here? And it's hard to understand in these seasons of suffering. Sometimes suffering is just life. It's just the way our universe is put together and it's infused and infected by the sin of mankind. And so this universe that is still groaning, waiting for the revelation of the sons of God, this universe has things in it that cause suffering. And so you're walking along, you're just minding your own business, you collide with a virus, you get sick. I mean, sometimes suffering is just life. It's just the way it goes. And then you ask yourself, well, why me? And why my life? And why suffering for me? And, and what is this I'm going through? Suffering has many many angles to it. Sometimes it's the physical suffering. Sometimes it's long-term illness. Sometimes it's emotional suffering. Um, sometimes it's the, the darkness and the weight of, of depression and, 
You know, we're really good at hiding those kinds of things. You, you know that, don't you? Somebody says, you know, I've been depressed lately. You say, what, you? You always seem so happy. Well, of course they seem happy when you see them. It's called manic depression. You know, when they're depressed, they stay home. When they're manic, uh, uh, exhilarated, you know, just really on top of things, that's when they come out. Say, How you doing? Fine! <laughs> you know. But then you find out there's an ongoing struggle. There's a darkness there. So there, there's seasons of suffering that come to us. And we've reached a spot in the book of Hebrews where um, the author is going to give us why God lets this happen and what's going on in the middle of it. All right? So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. I want to pick it up in verse 3. Last time we were together, we were looking at 11, and we let our thoughts bleed into uh, the first two verses of 12. All these great figures of faith in chapter 11, all these great examples of trusting in God, looking past the, the moment and the suffering and the challenge of the moment to see the glory of Christ on the other side, and faith was working through the moment to, to the promises of God, to the glory of God in Christ. Uh, by the way, sometime go back and look at chapter 11 and just look at each one of those individuals that's listed there, and almost all of them off the top of your head you can list some great challenge, some great sorrow, some great suffering some great setback that they had in their life. But faith is working through that. So that, that's what we're dealing with uh, at this point. You know, how, how do we deal with that? How do we, how do we get through that? Well, here, here's the answer in verse 3. Consider him. By the way, that's the entire book of Hebrews in a nutshell. That's what we've been talking about all these, I guess, going on months now. Book of Hebrews is about consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our faith. Chapter 3, verse 1. That's, that's the theme verse. We're coming back to it right here in verse 3. Consider him. That's, that's the answer for this whole thing. You're getting weak need in, in your um, uh, approach and your acceptance and your experience of persecution. Consider Jesus. You're, you're, you're considering bailing out on this Christian walk thing. Consider Jesus. You're wondering where God is at work in, in, in all these circumstances of persecution. Consider Jesus. So that's, that's where we are. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Now, there's only one person in life who could ever have said, God, I don't deserve this. I mean, we do that. We go before God and we say, look, God, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve that person saying this and that person doing that and so forth. But, you know, uh, at, at, at the rock bottom of it, we don't deserve great things either because we, we have not earned and could never earn the blessings and the grace of God. Now, that all comes to us as a magnificent gift. But Jesus alone could have gone to the Father and he could have said, you know, Father, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this beating. I don't deserve this scourging. I don't deserve having to carry a cross. I don't deserve to have nails in my hand, a spear in my side. Father, I don't deserve the cross. Jesus alone could have said that. But he didn't for you and for me. So consider him who endured from sinners, endured from other people who were inflicting their sinfulness and the sin of their lives, inflicting that on Christ who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Consider him so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So you don't just get exhausted and quit. So you, so you don't keep hanging back because you're, you're afraid to, to really invest in, 
in what God is doing. He says, I, I want you to consider Jesus. I just plain want you to think about him so that you really understand what's, what's going on there. All right. Verse 4. In your struggle against sin, now here I don't think he's talking about their struggle against their own uh, personal temptations. He's not saying, well, you know, you, you have a thought temptation, you're, um, you know, a, a, an addiction temptation, an anger temptation. He says, you know, and then you're struggling against that, you haven't shed your blood. What he's talking about here is, you know, in the sin that, that's going on in the world around you, this persecution. You see, if you combine Christian faith with a sinful world, Christian faith plus sinful world equals sign persecution. That's what you get in the world. You get the opposition of the world against you. So he says, in your struggle against sin, because of the sinfulness of the world, in your struggle, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. All he's saying there is, it's not like you're matching Christ. Consider him, but you'll never suffer the way he did. And you'll never be called upon to give the way he gave. You may be called upon to give great things, but not the way Christ did. So keep that perspective. Keep your eyes on Christ. Consider him. And then in verse 5, and this, this is really what uh, uh, we want to look at here. It says, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? You know, I like this so far. This is a good verse so far. The exhortation that addresses you as sons. Sons, in English as in life, the masculine embraces the feminine. As children of God. Have you forgotten the exhortation that God gives you because you're a child of God? Man, I feel good about that one. You know, the grace of God, I'm, I'm a child of God. You know, and this, this child of God thing should really work out well. I mean, I tell other people, you know, you need to believe in Jesus, your life would go better. As one, as one uh, happy guy says, uh, you know, if you believe in Jesus, life goes better and you're better at life. Now let's all have a Coke and a Pepsi and sing to each other under the tree. He says, have you forgotten the exhortation that God gives you because you're his child? Here it is. He quotes this, by the way, from Proverbs chapter 3. Odd thing, book of Hebrews, using the Old Testament. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. You see, there are two answers to what God is doing in our seasons of suffering. Two answers. And you're not going to like either one of them. You're just not. We're not built that way. These, these people that believed in Christ, bam, persecution. We believe in Christ. Do you ever find that, that, that uh, the, the moment you say, I am resolved to live for Christ. I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to clean up my language. I'm going to clean up my, my actions. I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to focus on Christ. Do you find that the moment you say that, you get about 10 minutes of coasting, and then the world hits you? You ever notice that? You're not going to like the reason why that happens. Because he gives us two reasons. He says, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. He says, the first reason is discipline. Now, the word there in the Greek uh, is, um, uh, we get our word pedagogy from it. It's a, it's a word that, that means teaching children. God is trying to teach you something. I, I hate that phrase. Don't, don't, don't write that down. Somebody's taking notes. Don't write down God is trying to teach you something. God either does or he doesn't. He doesn't try things. Oops, I can't do it. 
God is teaching you something. All right, how's that? You know, don't, don't look at the discipline of God, the teaching of God at that point, and say, I, I really don't want that, and I don't really need that. I'd rather live without that. First thing he says is, have you forgotten that God is teaching you something? As a little child, he's shaping you and molding you in your thought and in your character. And we'll see why in, in, in just a little bit. But don't despise that. Don't think lightly of the fact that God is teaching you something in the midst of a season of sorrow. Now, this isn't to explain the sorrow away, and it's not to say, oh, be happy that it's happening. It's simply to say, when this is happening, this is what God is doing. He is teaching you something. And then secondly, do not be weary when reproved by him. That is when you're being corrected, sometimes punished. And so he gives two reasons, uh, things that are going on in seasons of suffering. One is we're being taught. The other is we're being punished. I told you, you wouldn't like it. Now, what he's going to emphasize here is the discipline of God. He doesn't really come back to the, um, the, the reproof of God against us. Um, verse 6, he's still quoting from Proverbs. He says, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens every son whom he receives. You look at 7, he says, it is for discipline that you endure. Verse 8, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated. Verse 9, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us. Verse 10, for they disciplined us for a short time. Verse 11, for the moment all discipline seems rather uh, painful. You see, he talks about the discipline. He really doesn't talk about the punishment. So that, that's what we're focused on here at this point. That in seasons of suffering, God brings us a discipline that is teaching us and shaping us and molding us according to his um, purposes. Um, well, let, let, let's see how that works out. Dis well, you know, discipline, all, all parents discipline, or should. I mean, if you really want to curse your children, just let them do whatever they want. If you want to make sure your child will be miserable the rest of her life, just let her do whatever she wants. Oh, isn't that cute? You broke mommy's vase. See, daddy can say that. He didn't care about the vase anyway. Oh, isn't that wonderful? She likes to play in the street. Isn't that cute? Oh, look at that car. If you want to give your child a miserable life, just let them do whatever they want. If you want to be a responsible parent as God designs, then give them discipline. Give them guidance and training and direction. It's not an easy thing to do, but children need this. Uh, let's, let's look at uh, verse 7, just sort of work our way through this for a second, 7 through 9. It says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. He's not ignoring you. He's got something going on in your life. This, you know, he's treating you as son. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. He says, you know, if God were to ignore you, it would be a sign that you weren't a child. But, but he doesn't. He's teaching you. He's disciplining you. Now, you know, discipline's not easy. Parents know this. You know, when, whenever you discipline a child, back in the olden days, no. It'd be uh, an unspared rod. Look, I'm not advocating violence against children. I'm giving you a historical report. <laughs> you know, and the first thing your dad does is he lies to you. 
this is gonna hurt you more than it hurts me. <laughs> wanna trade? <laughs> nah, no, I don't wanna trade. And after the end of that, you know, you know, and you're sitting there and you've just been disciplined, you never turn to mom and dad and say, I feel so bonded to you. I, I just feel so close to you right now. I feel like we are really coming together. No, all discipline seems painful at the moment. You know, it's, it's, it's not pleasant. That's the whole point of it. You know. And being more enlightened now, what we do is we have time out. Doesn't that sound more enlightened? Time out. We do, we do time out. Because this won't scar the child. You've misbehaved. Leave me. Okay. Look at the wall. Okay. Boy, do I ever feel affirmed in my self-esteem right now. Yeah. Well, you have the makeup session afterwards, but what have you done? You've, you've, you've inflicted pain, emotional pain on your child. For what purpose? So that they'd be disciplined. So that they'll do and uh, think the right kinds of things. Oh, where am I? I think I'm in verse 9. Is that right? Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us. We respected them. Shall we not have much more? Shall we not much more? Be subject to the Father of spirits and live. We have earthly fathers who discipline the flesh. Our Father in heaven disciplines us for spiritual growth. So how much more ought we um, to do that for them? Now look, if you think this is an odd thing, um, some, sometime look up uh, Hebrews 5.8. Well, I'll look it up for you. you. You're sitting there without your text in front of you. No. 5.8. Hebrews 5, 8, very short verse. Speaking of Jesus, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. It's the experience of Christ. It's not like he walked through the world and he said, man, I have no idea what obedience is. Oh, suffering come. Oh, now I know what obedience. No. He was obedient, perfectly obedient, absolute perfection. And that perfection and obedience was demonstrated through the things he suffered. It was worked out in the things that he suffered. Became a, a, a tangible aspect of, of, of his resume, if you will. And if God the Father does that with God the Son, why does it surprise us if God wants to teach us discipline and obedience through the things that we suffer, through the seasons of suffering? So that's, that, that's what God is doing. He's, he's teaching us these things. Now, I want to I, I just pause here for a moment and talk about teachable moments. You've heard that? Teachable moments? Man, the, when you heard about teachable moments, it got you off the hook for all kinds of things. What is a teachable moment? Well, I don't spend any time with my children, but, but you know when I get home at night, I make it a teachable moment. You can't make teachable moments. They just happen. In fact, in fact the, the, the concept of a teachable moment became popular in the United States in the 1950s. Uh, it was around before then, but it, was, it became popular in the 1950s. And the reason it did was that educators were looking in the classroom, they were looking at children, and they were scratching their heads and saying, why do some children learn and other children never learn? What happens? Because they could not make a child learn. You know, you can't do that. You can create an environment that encourages learning. You can create a safety place where they love, love learning when it happens, but you can't make a child learn anything. 
is kind of a miracle. Plato thought so. Socrates thought so. They didn't understand it either. But they were looking at it and they said, you know, when a child learns it, it's a miraculous event, what happens? They said, there must be something called a teachable moment. And that's a moment at which a child says, I'm ready to learn, I want to learn, I'm going to learn. And you don't know how that happens. i tell you how you, 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 you know, some people think, well, you can create a teachable moment by taking your kids to a museum. Really? Not really. You know, you take your child in, you want them to, to learn all about the anthropology and, the, and the, the development and the flora and the fauna and all. They say, I want to see dinosaur bones. <laughs> you take them to the dinosaur bones and say, I want a hot dog. I mean, you don't create a teachable moment just by taking them to a museum or showing them movies or creating multimedia uh, sort of presentations. And now, that, that's, that, that's a, a case, though, of where you're exposing your child to so many things you're just hoping like crazy that they latch onto one of them, at least one of them. Teachable moments. They, they, they looked at that and they said, here's, here's what a teachable moment is. It's a moment when a child wants to learn from you, okay? And then they went on to say, this teachable moment is oftentimes caused by stress or trauma. Stress or trauma, think about it. Get on the cruise ship, they have boat drill. You go up on the boat deck, they're saying, ladies and gentlemen, please put your uh, life jacket on. Here's how we want you to fasten. You're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you sort of put it on so they, they don't single you out, but you know, you're not doing all that stuff. Why would you? And they're, they're saying, and this is your boat in case of, the, of an emergency. Please come to this boat station. You're thinking, where's the buffet? And in case of emergency, the boat will be lowered here, and you will get on the boat like this, and you will sit here, and this is your assigned seating. You think, oh, man, I hope we, we're not late getting into the, in, into the port where we get to shop and go on the beach. You're not listening. Now, put yourself on the Titanic. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, here's the boat deck right there. <laughs> you know, this is your boat. Let me write that down. I don't want to forget that. Here's your life vest. Absolutely put it on. You see, you got motivation. A lot of times, stress will create that motivation, or trauma will create that kind of motivation. Now, look, that doesn't mean you need to go home and scare your kids to death so they'll start learning. <laughs> because the other thing that creates a teachable moment is love. Love for truth, love for a subject. You know, th this is where the museums do help. You know, you just, you drag them through all kinds of museums and one day they say, you know, I like art. And I like Mary and Denny and, you know. <laughs> I don't know, that just occurred to me and I thought I'd throw it in. But they looked at it and said, I like art. I want to learn about that. They want to learn about the artists and painters and how it's done and so forth. They have fallen in love with the subject and that will attract them to it. But in that teachable moment, not only um, is it a, a willingness of the, of the child uh, to learn, it's a willingness of the child to learn from you, brought on oftentimes by stress, but it is also enabled by the relationship. By the relationship. In other words, when a child says, yeah, I'm ready to learn, uh, they, they look at you and they say, and I trust you to teach me. 
I trust you to give me truth, and I trust you to give me wisdom. I trust me to tell uh, me. Uh, I trust you to tell me what I, I really ought to understand about all this. I'm trusting you to guide me through this trauma, through this stress, or even through this love that I have for learning. I'm trusting you to be the one. All right. So often, our teachable moments before the Father's throne come about because of stress or trauma. There are a lot of times when we finally get around to serious, serious prayer because there's something that is really hurting. There's a great grief, there's a great sorrow. And because of that, we're finally motivated to turn to the Father in prayer. A lot of times we're motivated by the confusion, by the doubt, by the stresses of life, and we're finally aware of the fact, I can't handle this, that motivates us, that brings us into a teachable moment before the Father. And it's based on love for the Father. The, the, the greatest thing that we need to learn is who the Father is. And so a love for the Father motivates us to be taught by the Father. You're with me, right? How about this side? Are you with me? Okay, you three, I'll talk to you. And so motivated finally to come to the Father and motivated finally to listen to the Father in the seasons of sorrow we're finally taught by the Father and we take it in. And we take it in. In other words, your season of sorrow is kind of like a teachable moment before God. Um, let, let's continue reading here, real quick. I, 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 I. Am I at verse 10? I think I talked about that, but I'll do it again. For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us. What, what are the next words? For our good. God is more interested in your good than you are. God is more interested in what is best for you than you are. So your, your vision is, is pretty short, and your, your perspective is pretty narrow. God is eternal and infinite, and so God is more interested in your good than you are. That's why we can, with confidence, uh, encourage one another this way, that God causes all things to work together for your good. For the good of those who are called according to his purpose, those whom he loves and are called according to his purposes. Okay? So he, he disciplines us for our good. What is the next phrase? That we may share his, what's the word? Holiness. Now you know what he's teaching us. See, God doesn't teach trivia. Some people teach trivia. When I was in college, I took a class in, six, in uh, 17th century English metaphysical poetry. That's just a long way of saying trivia. Okay? You've probably lived your whole life without having to deal with English metaphysical poets. Although, <laughs> I was thinking about that. It was kind of an interesting class. But it, it wasn't, wasn't life-changing Bible. I mean, it was kind of interesting. God does not teach trivia. He doesn't teach odd and amazing facts just so we can be amused. He teaches us holiness. He teaches us his own character and nature. That's what's going on. In a season of sorrow, 
God's design is that you would learn more about how to be holy. What does that mean? It means learning more about how to be like Jesus. We mentioned Romans 8, 28 a moment ago. God causes all things to work together for good to, uh, to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But you go on just a few verses from that, and it says, those whom he ordained God predestined, predestined to be conformed to the image of God's dear son. That's God's design for your life that you would look like Jesus in all that you say and that you do. And if the Son learned obedience through suffering, in our seasons of suffering and sorrow, God is teaching us and training us for our good that we might be made holy, sanctified um, before him. Um, verse 11. Am I in? Uh, yeah, 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Let me talk about uh, something just for a second. Um, I think it would surprise most of us how many mature, faithful giants of, of Christianity have suffered their whole lives long some suffering with depression, some with other issues. But I started this some years ago. I would ask older saints, believers in Christ, and, and some of you, if I called their names, you'd know who I was talking about. And you'd say, well, that's a person who, who, who just sort of floats through life, uh, just a great woman of faith and just the, the, the kind of man that whatever comes, he can cope with it and adjust to it. And he's never caught off guard, knocked off balance. What? Such a great person of faith. I wish I could be like them. And I've asked people like that, believers like that, I've said, have you ever hit a spot in your life where you were absolutely depressed? And it would amaze you how many said, yes, I have. And I said, well, what is it like now? They said, well, I've, I'm not through it. I'm not done with it, but I've, I've come through the worst of it. I said, what, what difference did it make? And to a person, they say something like this. On this side of it, I love Jesus more than I ever did before. And I love him in ways that I never did before. I went into it. And I love Jesus because, because he gave me this, because he gave me that, he gave me this. I love Jesus because of what I could get. I came out on the other side of it just loving Jesus, period. There wasn't a reason for it. It was just I loved him. And that's a different way to love Christ. That's a different way to be sold out to him. And then I asked them this. I said, would you ever do it again? And they said, absolutely not. I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. I mean, I, I wouldn't want anyone to have to go through this thing where, where they, they walk around with a weight of burden of sorrow and grief and they don't even know why, the, the depression. I, I wouldn't want them ever to go through that. I would not wish it on my worst enemy. And then without fail, they'll say something like this. But I would not trade it for the world. I would never have loved Jesus the way I do now if it hadn't been for that season of suffering and sorrow. You see, discipline at the moment, you know, it's sort of harsh. The Bible phrases it better than I can. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's another way of saying being made holy, right with God, in, in line with God's design for your life, being made holy. And so, 
um, in, in, the, in the midst of the um, suffering, we don't need a philosophical explanation of suffering. I, I think I'm capable of that, uh, but that's not what I need. When I'm suffering, all I need to know is that God loves me. He's got his hand on my life, and he's using whatever I'm going through to make me look more like Jesus. He's going to discipline my life, teach me the way I need to be taught. Now, what do we do about that? What do we do? Well, I don't have time to go into all of it, but in verse 12, lift up your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, make straight paths for your feet. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. In other words, just track with Jesus. Just track with Jesus. Now, this isn't a simple thing. It's, it's not as a, well, just love Jesus and you'll feel better. But love Jesus and what you're going through will have meaning and purpose. And God will accomplish something with it. There's a lot of ways that suffering comes to us. A lot of ways that sorrow um, hits our lives. But in all of it, God is either punishing us, that is, to correct us and reprove us so we don't do it again. More importantly, God is teaching us. He's giving us discipline that we might be conformed to the image of Christ. You see, suffering will drive the pride right out of you. You're going through life, and I can handle anything. There's nothing coming my way that I can't, that I can't take on. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a winner. You know, I'm a success story. And you hit the suffering, and you can't get rid of it. And you hit the sorrow, and you can't just turn it off. And you hit the, the seasons of, of, of real despair, and you can't just buck up and get out of it. That'll take the pride right out of you. It'll take the pride out of you. But suffering will, will also give wisdom to you as you realize that God's wisdom is perfect. God knows exactly what he's doing. And however your life is working out, if you're walking in the footsteps of Christ, you're walking towards the Father. And that's taking you where you need to be. It'll drive the wisdom out of you, uh, the, the pride out of you, give wisdom to you. It'll plant strength within you. Most importantly, suffering will wrap the grace of God around you you will become multiplied a thousand times over a child of grace. I mean, we are children of grace, but sometimes we, we act like we're not. In times of suffering, you'll learn you're a child of grace, pure and simple. And God is absolutely faithful and reliable. We look to Jesus, look to Jesus, and we see um, the one who is the goal of our life. He's the promise on the other side. Eyes fixed on him. Consider Jesus, the high priest, the apostle and high priest of our faith. Consider him who, for the sake of the joy set before him, endured the cross and despised the shame. Consider him. Latch on to him. Because that's what God is doing in your life in seasons of suffering. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, not for a moment would we pretend to understand the deepest mystery of suffering in life. But we don't need to, Father. We just need Christ. Just need the work of your Spirit. Just need the guidance, the consolation, the encouragement, the strength. 
So, Father, I pray for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit today upon those who are in that season time. I pray that eyes would be lifted up to see Christ, that, that hearts would be encouraged, that hands would be strengthened. Father, I pray that even in seasons of suffering, your Holy Spirit would show us the beauty of Christ and that we would be attracted to him. Father, I pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.